0: You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right, I want to welcome a special friend, uh, Andrew from Pepperdine University. Uh, he's got his nephew here with us today, but Andrew might ask you a few questions. He's doing a little study on the restoration movement and, uh, for his master's thesis or something like that. So he might ask you, tap your shoulder, and ask you a few questions about our church here uh, in Culver City. So make sure you tell them only nice things, okay, uh, about what we're doing here. I'm just kidding. You can tell them whatever you want. But uh, Andrew, why don't you stand up so they know who you are, so that you can tap them. You know, we started off the year by uh, kind of capitalizing on the um, election season, and we termed the year... Jesus, 2016, and we talked about how we, we're going to get disappointed, and as this last few months have shown, for some it has been a tremendous disappointment in terms of what happened and how the election uh, transpired. But uh, we'll never be disappointed if we go back to Jesus, Amen. And that's what we really wanted to focus on: was that, well, no matter what happened in 2016, we're going to set our eyes and focus. On Jesus. And sure enough, as any theme that you set for the year, you know, you lose a little focus, you get a little digression, you went off. But we want to close out the year of uh, being uh, part of that uh, theme again, in that we want to focus on the words of Jesus as it was spoken in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. And as you look at your slide today, it's more than just an individual thing that we're looking at. It's not just me and just how, you know, Jesus affected me, but also we want to talk about our community at large on how we affect one another. That Christianity is not a spectator sport where we sit around and we work on ourselves and we go into our rooms, but we work on ourselves in comparison to how we relate to one another as a community of, of Christ. And that's what we want to talk about today. You know, when we look at the Beatitudes. It's more than just those words that Jesus spoke about in um, in uh, Matthew 5. But it's really about just the community at large and how he built up to that. And speaking of community, I want to share some good news this past weekend. Uh, this is the aftermath of the engagement that Mike asked Veronica to be his wife over the weekend. The good news is that she said yes. Amen? So we don't know what's going to happen to these, uh, these guys. Uh, Mike went back to Texas. And I want to thank all the people that were involved in this. And what I understand, there was quite a few people that were involved. And Veronica, why don't you stand on up and thank everybody for all the work that they did to make this happen. So Veronica, congratulations. You know, when Jesus spoke... His words. And um, he built up to the Sermon on the Mount, which is really his inaugural speech. That we got to realize that it took Matthew 1, 2, 3, and 4 to get to that point. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus got himself ready as he went through his own conversion, his own baptism, and his own temptation to get ready for that moment. When he called his community together. And in Matthew chapter 4. He simply preached as he started. He says from that time on. Jesus began to preach. Repent for the kingdom of God. Has come near. You know when Jesus started his sermon. It wasn't this nice little sermon about. Hey come and join our group. And uh, you know we had some good fellowship together. But he said that there's going to be power. In this group. And he called people towards repentance, a new heart, a new mind change, a new attitude toward what was to come. And this is really important because sometimes we ourselves, we forget that we belong to this church, this power that God has called the kingdom of God. And today we're going to remember again, we're going to look at the words of Jesus, his, his inaugural speech, his inaugural sermon about what the kingdom of God is like and all the people that comprises of that kingdom and his expectation for what we should be in his church. You know, the kingdom of God is about repentance and it's about power that Jesus lays out. You know, it's so easy for us to think about, you know, as we approach Christmas, to forget that. So I want to remind us today. You know, the Beatitudes is not just those eight scriptures that are found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 to 8. But really it's more than that. The Beatitude really to define what a Beatitude is. It's a blessing. It's a blessing upon the people. The people that are involved. And I love this movie. It came out about, uh, all about 25 years ago. And has a really famous line by William Shakespeare. It was, it, was, it, was, it was read out in Henry V. And Henry V was getting his group together. And they were facing uh, an army that was overwhelmingly larger, more powerful than them. And as he was getting ready to make this speech, and all the people were a little bit afraid because they saw that they were overmatched. And Henry V gave one of the greatest speeches through Shakespeare that ever was given, not only on stage, but really uh, in the history uh, of literature. And uh, he said this, As he was getting ready to face his people, convincing them that they were going to win the battle. This is what he said. He says, but we in it shall be remembered. This day shall gentle his condition. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For today, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he never so vile. This day shall gentle his condition. And I I, I mistyped there. And he goes on, he says, and hold their manhood cheap whilst any uh, speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day. Henry V was rallying his people. He says, yeah, even though we are few and we are outmatched, he says that, but today you are the lucky ones. Because from now on, Those people in the future, they're going to regret not being here to fight in this great battle together. And he lays out a blessing to his soldiers, to his troops and saying, how lucky are you? We few, we band of brothers, we lucky few. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the beatitude. You got to realize the circumstances that they were in. These people were poor. You know, the Roman Empire, you, you talk about injustice today, the Roman Empire was a true form of injustice. There were 97% of the people who basically were overtaxed, overworked, and overgoverned to serve 3% of the population. The wealthy among the Romans were extremely wealthy. If you ever get a chance to go and witness this, go to the Getty Museum. It's free. Up in Malibu, you got to get a ticket, but it's free. And you get a chance to look at the lifestyle of the rich and famous, the 3% of the Roman Empire. And the 97% that were either slaves or working on the farmland or whatever. There was one time in the Roman Senate where one of the senators proposed that they would make all the slaves in Rome wear uniforms so that they can identify who they are. Another senator struck down that idea because he worried that if all the slaves would wear their uniforms, they would realize how many they were. And they will overturn the governments. So you talk about injustice. It was grave injustice. And that was the environment that Jesus started his movements. I don't know about you, but that inspires me because I'm not part of the 3%. I'm not in any powerful position. But we have an incredible opportunity to be in God's kingdom. To be in a kingdom that will never be overturned. And Jesus began to speak to them in verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And you can picture this, this, this crowd, you know, as Francine tried to, to show us and try to imagine as she was there in the Holy Land, this, this ragtag group of people that became his disciples sat on a mountainside and all the other people as well from the community thinking, now who is this guy? Intrigued by this new movement. And what was it all about? And Jesus began to teach them. You know, two weeks ago, Todd took the first three Beatitudes and we're going to close out the year with these different attributes, but I'm going to do one of them. But I want to just kind of go back and review a little bit about what Jesus taught. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, what was Jesus doing? He was turning the world upside down. He was using the weak things in the world and to make them strong. He was turning these attributes that maybe the world would consider as weakness and turn them into power. Something that would exemplify his kingdom. And we look at these words, and sometimes we think, well, they're kind of religious words, aren't they? Meek. You know, poor. Mourn. But they're really powerful words, if you really think about it. Jesus says, the people that are blessed are the poor in spirit. And if we identify these scriptures more, we're going to understand exactly what he's talking about. He's not talking about poor in terms of just Meekness, in terms of just this debased this, this attitude about life as we're going to take a look at. He's talking about an aggressiveness in being open to things and understanding who we really are as people in the eyes of God. Number two, he says, blessed are those who mourn. What does that mean? He says, listen, blessed are those that have feelings in their hearts. to look at the world, not with apathy, but really to think about where we live in. You know, I appreciate the work we do with Hope Worldwide and I appreciate all the work that we do with, you know, the gifts that we give. And this, this church is a very generous church. And those things invariably actually will come back and help us as well. To understand that, hey, look, you know, we got a lot. We're pretty lucky as people. And Jesus talks about that. Blessed are those who takes the time to mourn and to actually think about the people around us. And lastly, he says, blessed are those who are meek, you know, that understand that, and, hey, look, in this whole big scheme of things, we need God. In this big whole scheme of, of how things work and how, how probably how helpless we can feel, that that helplessness helps us to really understand our need for God. And that's what Jesus started off. Can you imagine starting off a movement like that? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. Blessed blessed are those who mourn. And these are the attributes that Jesus wants us to have as we think about our our community here. It's so different than the world, isn't it? I uh, grew up uh, in the 70s and the 80s, and this was huge back then. This was a commercial for Burger King. And this is the, the, the rapper that, that this is their theme. Have it your way. You know, you can have it any way you want. You, you can have pickles, you can have tomatoes, you can do whatever you want. Go into Burger King and have it your way. It's the opposite of what we just read. You know, the insistence on having things our way. And, you know, things haven't changed much, right? This is a commercial in 2015 for. Um, National runner car. We don't have sound for this. Can we get some sound, Mike? Perfect, 177 degrees. That's—I've been called a control freak. I like to think of myself as more of a control enthusiast. 77 degrees. And that's why this road warrior runs from National. I can bypass the counter and go straight to my car. And I don't have to talk to any humans unless I want to. And I don't. And National lets me choose any car in the aisle. Control. And so what's the word? Sexy. Go National. Go like a pro. That's what we portray, right? Control. Sexy. That's what what it is. Have it my way. I thought about this as I was putting this lesson together, and really, there are it's, 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 it's an illusion. And it's an illusion that the world tried to teach us that we can have control. And I thought about how funny it is. Really, the only two things that we can have control on is the way we have our hamburgers and the car we get to choose. That's about it. But the real reality is that we have very little control over the world. That's the truth. But that's that's an illusion that is painted for us. That's an illusion that we want to have, right? That we're in control of these things and it's sexy, but the Bible teaches us that the opposite is sexy. And you can't believe I'm using that word at church, right? But it's okay. That humility is attractive. That the willingness to allow someone to teach us something, that's powerful. The ability to see our need for other people, the ability to see our need for God, our ability to shed a tear for other people, that is biblically attractive. And that's the kingdom that Jesus wants us to have. So he teaches us the values of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And we're going to focus on this scripture today as we look at this beatitude. And it says, Blessed are those who... Who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, we are trying to be sold on all these different things. You know, I appreciate Francine coming up here, and I got to admit, I was a little jealous because Francine is an empty nester, and she gets to travel all around the world, she gets to go wherever she wants. I look at Gabby, she just turned five years old, she just entered kindergarten. I'll be an empty nester when I'm 63 years old. I was a little jealous. But that's okay. But you know what, Gabby, right now she's in kindergarten and we're not tiger parents, you know, we're not your typical Asian parents that try to fill their schedule with all these piano lessons and ballet lessons and all those things because they're really, really expensive. So she spent a lot of time watching TV. I'm just kidding. I'm a bad parent. But you know what I worry about when Gabby watches TV? Is the messages that she gets. That you got to buy this, you got to get this. It's going to make you happy, it's going to make you fulfilled. And we talk about it all the time. But here, Jesus says what? Jesus gives us an answer. For what it means to be filled. The Bible says that he didn't come here to rob us. The thief thief comes to steal and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life to the full. And the truth is... That if we're not filled up by the kingdom of God... We're not filled up by the attributes of God... Those other things are going to look really, really attractive. Something's going to fill that void. So Jesus comes to his people and says, listen... This is the thing that's going to make you fill. This is the thing that's going to give you fulfillment and satisfaction for your life. Is the thirst and the hunger for righteousness. The pursuit of righteousness. That is what's going to fill us up in this lifetime. In the lifetime to come. You know, we just went through Black Friday, right? It blows my mind how long people are willing to wait to get that deal. Have they not heard of Cyber Monday? (laughs) Where you can get the same thing delivered to your door. But that's okay. Better deals for me on Monday. Okay? It blows my mind. And I'm not putting down. I mean, it's a good tradition, right? You wait in line for a couple days to get that flat screen TV that you save 300 bucks for her. it's a good tradition look at that woman on the left there she, she's trying to act calm you notice that all the other people are fighting to get in she's like acting calm she, well she's going to the bathroom because she hasn't been to the bathroom in two days and these are the lines that uh, I think this was outside of New York you know and I'm not putting this down this is just an illustration you know if you look closely enough I'm probably in there somewhere as well okay but the point is that, you know, we, 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 we go, when we want something, we go after it, don't we? And Jesus is teaching us, let's redirect our focus a little bit. Let's redirect our energy a little bit towards what's really, really important. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for we will be filled. And the title of our lesson today is Satisfaction. You see, these boys back in the 60s, they couldn't get any satisfaction, right? And they wrote a really great hit called I Can't Get No Satisfaction, right? And it's an anthem for so many people and so many commercials throughout these last four decades. But you know, we're not like that. We can be satisfied. Guarantee, Jesus said. You will be filled. And these are the three things that we need to have in order for us to be filled. They come from three things that I've, I've you know, they come from many things, but I've whittled it down to three. They come from knowing something. They come from knowing something that other people don't know. And it's not like a snobbery that we have, but because we want other people to know this as well. But in order for us to know, want other people to know it, we have to know it first. And this one point here is going to unlock a lot of things in our lives. Okay, It comes from knowing. It comes from knowing the secret that the Bible wants us to know. The satisfaction guarantee. In Matthew chapter 3, as Jesus was preparing himself, and as God was preparing him, this is what the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on Him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Before Jesus started on anything... Before he started on his mission to save you and I. God opened the heavens, broke open the heavens to tell him one thing. And what's that? You are good with me. And this passage here was going to carry Jesus throughout his whole ministry. All the way to the cross. And what is that secret? The knowledge of That God is pleased with him. You know, we try to get satisfaction from so many things. But not only that, we try to get affirmation from so many people as well. But the Bible teaches us what? That the one person that we need to get affirmation from, and that is enough, is God himself. Because once we have this, nothing else matters. Once we have this affirmation from God, the, uh, the heavens open up. The words are speaking to us. You are good with me and I see you in that light. And from then on, nothing else matters. Isn't that cool? That the one thing that Jesus heard from God was that I love you. I am with you. I love and I am well pleased. I want to encourage you for the rest of the year, 2016. It might be a good year. It might be a great year. We can still salvage this year. We can end it out in a great way by figuring out what this passage means. To seek and thirst hunger for righteousness with God. And to figure out, how can I get right with God? How can I figure out this next month here to be... to forgot to say this to me. forgot to to figure that out. Maybe He is already saying that to you. He is saying that to you. To, but to figure that out, that God, more than anything else I want for Christmas, is that you will look upon me and for me to understand that I am right with you. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know... This scripture, for people around the world today, if we could just figure out what that means, it would be the solution to a lot of our problems. That God is enough. Number one, from knowing and from desiring a relationship with God. Point number two, I'm going to move on here. It comes from working. You know, the community of God is based on knowing that we are dearly beloved to God. Knowing that we are in the right relationship with God. Because the word righteousness has a well, wide range of definition. We tend to think of righteousness as what? Doing the right thing, right? Which is one definition. Not lying, not stealing, doing good works during the holidays, doing good works throughout the year helping one another, that certainly is righteous. But another definition of righteousness, as we saw earlier, is the right standing before God as well. But it comes from also working. If we know that we are in the right relationship with God, there needs to be an overwhelming desire to do what? Not just to keep that to ourselves, but to do what? But to share that with other people as well you know god 's church is not just so that we can sit around and enjoy our relationship with God and certainly enjoy our relationship with one another. You know, I think about Thanksgiving this past week and I thought about different things that I was thankful for, and certainly my kids, you know, my wife, what I do um, in the ministry, the opportunity to really do ministry full- time, I was really grateful for. But I tell you what, at the end of the day, even just the fellowship with one another, um, sometimes we take that for granted. That we're in the midst of really, some really incredible people. People that love God, people that want genuinely to do God's will. I think about that. And sometimes we take that for granted, don't we? Sometimes we have attitudes towards one another because we didn't, you know, exactly get what we want. But at the end of the day... This is a great community that we're a part of. People that serve God. People that want to serve God. People that actually want to do what's right. That's, we're pretty lucky. But from all that, from all that, it comes from working. Let's take a look at this passage here. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, as Jesus started his ministry in Matthew 5, And spread his ministry, he sends out the disciples to preach the word. And the Bible says that when they came back, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. The Bible says that the disciples came back from working, spreading the gospel, fulfilling their purpose as the people. God, And the Bible says that they were filled with joy. And they said, we had a great impact in the community. Even the demons in the spiritual realm submitted to God. You know, Jesus gave them a purpose. They went out and they did their purpose. And they came back and they saw the fruits of their labor. You know, as we close out 2016 and get ready for 2017, I want to remind us that the mission of the church is to go out. The mission of the church is to spread the gospel, not just enjoy this life that God has given us, but whether it's individually or collectively, we go out. And that's where the thirst and the hunger for righteousness, not only our own righteousness before God, but others, people's righteousness to God, we go out and preach the word. I think for a lot of us, it's been a long time. I thought about myself as well, and just the few studies that I've been involved in this past year. I think if anything that I regret, it would be that. Is just how few times I thought about this past year's. You know, the clock is ticking. End of the years, you know, pictures of who died and, you know, the great number one songs. They're coming out, right? The review, review of the year. I thought about that this, this past year for myself. And just the, the few people that I was able to share the gospel with, that's a regret for me. I can just name them in one hand, literally. And I spent a lot of time fixing this, a lot of time fixing that, studying this, studying that. But so few hours doing the work that I was called to do and focusing on things that maybe I shouldn't focus on as much. I want us to think about that as we get ready to close out 2016, but get ready for 2017 too that it's going to be different. Amen? If we are a people of the gospel, the good news, the challenges from God to go out and to share That good news. And that's where a lot of the fulfillment, not ultimate fulfillment, but a lot of the fulfillment comes from. Just like the disciples here. They came back with what? Great joy. They said that even the spiritual realm submitted to us. You know, what do you think of the disciples when they finally realized how powerful they were? That they were in the position to effect change. They were in a position to change people's lives. They were in a position to change people's lives, not only here, but for the eternal realm. Great joy. So when they saw Jesus, he replied to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will... Uh, harm you. However, do not rejoice that that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus, again, helps them to put things in perspective. He says that, I saw Satan himself fall down, and he was full of joy. And the Bible says that Jesus directed them and says, yeah, Really? Your names are written in heaven. That's where we should be joyful about. Isn't it funny that it takes for us to go out and work to try to get people into heaven to realize how special it is that we are ourselves going to heaven. It's a paradox that the Bible teaches us. And I want us to ask a question today as we think about ourselves for 2016 how much has the mission been on our hearts? How much have we thirsted for the righteousness of other people in our hearts? How much have we longed and waited in line and fought for the opportunity to get in there with other people's lives? And maybe we got turned down a lot this past year, and it is hard. Maybe that, you know, we reach out to some few people, and it's hard to be thankful, it's hard to be... Focus when we've been turned down. But yet, you know, it it is hard to fight, but to long and thirst for those things. In verse 21, as we close out this section, it says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was what you were pleased to do. You see, the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to these people, these little children. These people that have the attributes of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 1 to 3, and 1 to 4, and 1 to 8. All those things, Jesus says, that God was pleased to give them. And Jesus, full of joy, says they got the secret to fulfillment. They got the keys to true happiness. Not only in this season, but for all seasons. Let me close out as we get ready for communion. You know, the longing and the thirsting for righteousness and the hunger for righteousness come from an understanding of of just the knowledge. Number two, it comes from just working. And number three, it comes from being. You know, Jesus understood fully who he was as the Son of God. You know, as we get ready for communion and Christmas and all the great things, we got to realize who we are worshiping and that Jesus himself understood who he was. In Romans chapter 3, as Paul was writing to the church in Rome, he was trying to convince them of the great things that I'm trying to convince us today. And he wrote to them about the righteousness that comes from God. In verse 21 he says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. He says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believed. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This scripture is a pack full of just condensed theology and and, and, and knowledge about who Jesus is. And let's unpack this together. Paul said to the Romans that, you know... During those days when the Jews had the law, that was given to them to help usher in this new age of Jesus. And he says that even though the Jews at that time relied on the law, you Gentiles rely on the law no longer. But he says in verse 21 that the the law and the prophets pointed towards something. And that was the righteousness of God. And the word righteous, again, as we look at it, has a full range of meaning. Part of it is the righteousness of God, which is what? That He is righteous. That He's going to expect us to be righteous as well. And that He, as a righteous God, theologians have fought over this, said that He's going to expect us to pay back for all of our sins. He's not going to leave them And just forget about them. He's going to call us to an account. That God himself is righteous. He is a righteous God. That he's going to demand righteousness from us. On the other side of that word is what? That God's righteousness also is a show of his faithfulness to us. That he's not going to leave the anger. He's He's not going to leave the wrath. For us to bear by ourselves. And that he's going to provide a way for us to be righteous before him. This is deep, deep theology that Paul is is, is trying to show these people. He's saying that on the one hand, God is righteous. He's going to demand that we're going to pay for our sins. But on the other hand, God is righteous. So he's going to provide for us a way so that we can have our sins forgiven, so that we can be righteous before him. And Paul says what? He says that it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're a good person or not, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Don't you appreciate that about God? He just lays it out. He says, listen, guys, there's nothing, there's there's, 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 there's no comparison Between you, whether you're a Jew, a good person, or a bad person, you've all messed up. But here's the good news that in my righteousness, I'm going to provide for you a way out. And that's what the cross is all about. You know, the cross fulfills all of God's righteousness in this way it fulfills God's righteousness in that the punishment that was going to be towards us was taken up on the cross by Jesus. That, in that sense, God's righteousness was fulfilled. The cross, on the other hand, also provided a way for us to be righteous before God. So it fulfilled all of God's righteousness in that sense. And that's what Paul was trying to convey to them, that we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came from Jesus Christ. Let me close out with this last idea here from this passage. You know, a lot of theologians didn't want to translate the next passage here, the word that's only found really very rarely in the New Testament. And the word that is an atonement, the, the word that describes atonement that Jesus paid for us is actually a piece of furniture in the Old Testament. And theologians today don't want to compare Jesus to a piece of furniture. But that's exactly what that word is, the atonement of Christ. That piece of furniture was found in the Old Testament, the seat of mercy, where the cover of the atonement was a reflection of God's wrath towards mankind. So when God saw the atonement, that is so huge that the Jews have a, a special day called the Day of Atonement. That when God saw that, that, that atonement furniture, it reflected his wrath away from people. And that's what the cross is. So because theologians want to respect Jesus so much, so he doesn't, they don't want to compare Jesus to a piece of furniture. But that's exactly what it is. The atonement of God is through Christ. You know, I know that we kind of covered a lot of theological things that we're like, what are we talking about? And that's what hungering and thirsting comes into play. We want it to be so easy, right? We want, you know, just tell me what it is. But it is a lifetime of searching these things out. You know, as we get ready to take communion together, I want to encourage us today to think about these passages and go back during the holiday to really figure out what the Beatitude means for us. And what does it mean for us to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does it mean to really dig deeper into the Scripture? What does it mean for us to really dig deeper into our relationship with one another? What, What does it mean as we get a little, maybe a little extra time. I know the holiday can be busy, but to pray a little bit longer and to ask God and say, Show me what these deep things really mean for my life. And what does the cross really mean for me as we get deeper in our relationship with God? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you. God, it's hard. It must be hard for you, God, to really express to us your heart for us. And God, it must be so hard for us to really understand as well. And God, just all these different words and all these different terms on just how much you love us, how much you care for us. And God, you use words and you use visual, the visual of Jesus on the cross himself to shock us into understanding Uh, God, just what it means for us to have a relationship with you and for us to look at our own sins and for us to acknowledge them before you. God, as we stand before the cross. God, I love these words, God, because they are so deep and it takes time, God, to really think through them. And it takes time to really pray through them and takes time to really consider uh, what they really mean for us and God for us as a community. Father, I really pray that as we get ready to take communion today that, God, we will examine our own relationship with you, God, as we think about our past week and, uh, God, to to really think soberly and and, and honestly about where we are at before you, but to also have the confidence to know that you are kind and gentle, Father, for those who are humble and meek and, uh, Father, who are willing to acknowledge who you are. Father, as we take the bread that by faith it is the body that was shed for us, God, help us to really understand that, uh, God, our sins are forgiven. God, help us as we take the, the, the wine that, Father, that Jesus said shed his blood on the cross so that every sin that we have today, that in our past and in the future as well, has been washed away. And God, as we get ready to celebrate Your birth, God, the birth of your son, Jesus, that we are a people that really will understand in a deeper way what that really means. And that we, too, are filled with joy, God, that our names are written in heaven as well. God, we love you so much. God, we're so grateful. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.